Hello. Welcome to Ridiculous Revisions, a podcast to ruin childhood. I'm your host, Chris Hellcamp. Each episode, I take a tale told to children and offer an alternative take, one that will leave the stain on your soul just a little darker than it was before you came here. This episode, we tackle the tale of the elves and the shoemaker. In the original tale, a shoemaker falls on hard times, but a group of elves starts showing up in the middle of the night to make shoes for him. The shoes are way better than anything the shoemaker can put together on his own, and it's not long before the business climbs out of the red thanks to the unsolicited free labor. At this point, you might be wondering why. Why would these elves come out of nowhere to donate their time and energy to some old nobody who's not even good enough at his own job to give customers something they actually want to buy? Well, maybe the elves have their own reasons. Maybe the shoemaker was just a means to an end. Once upon a time, there was a humble shoemaker who lived in his humble home, making humble shoes for the humble people of his humble town. He had taken over ye old original leather shoes from his father, who had taken it over from his father before him. For longer than anyone could remember, the shop fulfilled the entire town's shoe-related needs. If you lived here, and you didn't necessarily want to feel the grass and the animal poop between your toes, then your filth-encrusted tootsies were finding their way into a ye old original. The shoemaker had fallen on hard times. For all that his ancestors had done to build the brand up over the decades with a well-earned reputation for quality and style, the current owner was sending all of that goodwill straight to the chamber pot. He just wasn't good at his job. As can happen in a family business that gets passed down from one generation to the next, the shoemaker grew up a little soft and spoiled. Right up until his father died and left him everything, he had spent more of his time spending that sweet medieval shoe shop money instead of working for it himself. He knew more about the menu at the local tavern than he did about making shoes. When he finally had to step up to the challenge, he had to teach himself the lessons he'd been putting off for his whole life. Sure, he could technically make a pair of shoes, but they'd have holes in the seams. Or they might be two different sizes. In any case, they'd fall apart in short order. These weren't the sort of shoes you'd want on your feet whenever it came time to run and hide from whichever army happened to be marching through that month. The townspeople noticed the sudden nosedive in quality, but there was little they could do. The shoemaker's shop was the only one in town. At least, it was the only one in town until two new shoemakers opened their doors. Ye old original leather shoes lost its brand loyalty overnight. His wife, who had married him when he was younger and the business was thriving, couldn't stand it. She had married into the family for the security of being part of the old original leather dynasty. Throughout their courtship and the entire marriage up to that point, she had seen him take very little part in his trade, but somehow, she never took this for the red flag that it should have been. It finally slapped her in the face, though, when the shoemaker started selling some of their clothes and furniture to pay off some debts. Rather than reflect on the fact that maybe she could have seen this coming, too, she was more than happy to berate her husband for his own lack of foresight. If only she had married that handsome rat catcher that had been wooing her back in her youth. Now there was a successful entrepreneur in a growth industry. One night, the shoemaker cut and laid out some leather for a pair of shoes before going to bed. Impending starvation had proven to be a good motivator, as his work was improving little by little, but his skills still had a long way to go. 
He would continue in the morning, and maybe, against all odds, he'd finally make a decent pair of shoes like his father did. He blew out the candles and retired to the living quarters behind the shop. The next morning, the shoemaker woke up after another lonely night of sleeping next to the wife who hated him. He got dressed, made a quick breakfast of bread and beer, and passed through the doorway into his shop. After taking a brief pause to ready himself for another day of failures, he groggily sat down at his workbench and was immediately snapped wide awake when he noticed what was waiting for him there. It was a finished pair of shoes. The craftsmanship was remarkable. The stitching was tight. The shine on the leather was glorious. This was clearly not his work. So where did it come from? Did his wife buy these to taunt him with an example of what he should be making? No. They were so poor at this point, he knew they couldn't afford to pay for shoes like this. As he carefully looked over the shoes, he noticed an odd mark inside one of them. It matched a mark he remembered seeing on the leather he'd cut out the night before. Someone had entered the home without waking him or his wife. And they stayed a while, certainly long enough to assemble both shoes. A fear took hold of him. His palms grew sweaty and his throat dried. What else did the invader do? The shoemaker frantically moved around the shop, checking for anything out of place, but nothing else seemed to have been disturbed. What little money they had was still in the chest. The door was still barred from the inside. The windows were still secured. No one could have gotten in without waking the couple up. Yet there, on his workbench, was proof to the contrary. He briefly thought about waking his wife and telling her what had happened. But if he had trouble believing this, his wife would flat out just call him a liar and that would be the end of it. He began to fear the shoes and what they represented. On top of all of his other stressors, the sanctity of his home had been violated and these shoes were the only evidence of the crime. He had to get rid of them for his own peace of mind. He put them on display for sale. That same day, he sold them for a little under what his competitors would have charged, which was still a lot more money than he'd ever been able to get for anything that had come from his own hands. As he counted out his earnings that night, the nervous lump in his throat relaxed a little. The mysterious shoes were out of his sight, and he could start to forget any of it ever happened. He would, however, still have to try to make shoes himself that were worth buying. So he set aside enough leather for four pairs and went to bed. The next morning as before, the shoemaker got up, had his simple breakfast of bread and beer, and entered his shop. Upon stepping through the doorway, goosebumps broke out all over his body. A wave of panic pushed out all other thoughts in his mind. His guts tied themselves in knots. It happened again. He had checked and rechecked to make sure that every possible way into the building was locked up last night. Yet someone had still snuck into his home and expertly crafted four pairs of shoes with the leather he had left out. As before, nothing else was out of place. The newly completed shoes, standing there on the workbench in all their well-oiled splendor, were the only sign that someone else had been there. This could not be explained by natural means. This was witchcraft. This was the work of the devil. Or maybe it was God, answering all of his prayers in a way that required no serious effort on the shoemaker's part whatsoever. Either way, he decided he should put this batch of shoes up for sale too. If they were a gift from God, he reasoned, 
then God obviously intended for him to sell the shoes at a profit and rescue his sinking business. If they were the work of the devil, then no good would come of the shoes staying there, and it would be best for him to offload the cursed footwear onto some unsuspecting rubes, uh, customers. All four pairs of mystery shoes were sold by the end of the day. The fresh cash flow went a long way to quiet that voice of doubt and fear in his mind. And so, not really knowing what else to do, he cut out more leather and left the sheets on his workbench before going to sleep. This pattern continued on for several months. Each night, the shoemaker, if that's really what we can call him at this point, would lay out stacks of leather and go to bed. A wealth of impeccably made shoes of varying sizes and styles would be waiting for him the next morning. He'd sell all or most of them that same day, count his money, and repeat. Word spread around the town with every pair he sold. Ye old original leather shoes came back from the brink of death to reclaim its former glory, and it was selling luxury-grade shoes at affordable prices. There were days where the stream of customers flowed in as soon as the shop opened, and the place didn't empty until closing time. Men, women, children. The shoemaker was outfitting the entire town with a product of supremely questionable origin. The shoemaker's marriage improved. His wife noticed the sudden uptick in activity, not to mention the market improvement in her husband's apparent shoemaking abilities, despite never actually witnessing him make a pair of shoes. She didn't question it. For the most part, she just assumed that her husband had finally gotten his act together. There might have been some suspicions in the back of her mind, but the novelty of having food in the pantry and clothes that weren't held together by patchwork was enough to tell that little voice in her head to shut up. Life was good again. It began with the scratching. A few months after the shoemaker sold his first pair of miracle shoes, some people throughout the town developed an itch that just wouldn't go away. It started in their feet and spread up their legs to other parts of the body within a matter of days. Mr. Roberts, the local blacksmith, couldn't swing a hammer more than twice without vigorously scratching his chest for five straight minutes afterwards. Mr. Thomas, the candlemaker, got disfiguring burns all over his body after pouring hot wax on himself in a desperately misguided attempt to get rid of whatever was causing the itch. Mrs. Brown, wife of a local farm laborer, blood from the deep scratches her own fingernails left in her back. It was serious, and it was spreading. As weeks went by, more and more people seemed to be affected by the mysterious illness. It was soon impossible to go anywhere in the town without seeing a crowd of people vigorously scratching themselves on embarrassing parts of their bodies. The wool clothing of the day only made the experience worse. Some less prudish souls stripped naked in the middle of the street as the itching became too great. The plague didn't end there. About a week after it started, the skin on the first victim started flaking off, leaving behind patches that were even more sensitive than before. Then, the mushrooms started to sprout, from the arms, legs, eyes, nipples. No place on the body was safe. The mushroom caps could be as small as a coin to as wide as a man's head. After that, it wasn't much longer before enough poison from the fungus built up inside their bodies to kill them. The streets gradually grew empty as more and more people were shut indoors, spending their final weeks in burning agony. Medical science of the day was at a loss. The illness persisted no matter how many leeches were attached to a patient. In fact, the leeches tended to die. 
The local church sponsored the burning of several people accused of witchcraft, but the stench of burning flesh wafting through the town somehow failed to make things better. News of the disease traveled far to the king, who at the direction of his advisors imposed a quarantine. Soldiers were posted outside the town, surrounding it on all sides. Shipments of food would be left at the main entrance for anyone who was still alive, but anyone attempting to escape the blockade was to be killed to keep the horror from spreading. During this whole time, the shoemaker and his wife somehow had managed to stay healthy. He wasn't as busy as he had been before the plague started, but he still managed some steady business. Anytime he needed more shoes in his inventory, he'd lay the leather out overnight and come back to the finished product. He had given up on trying to put a proper shoe together by himself. He was over his initial fear of the shoes, but that fear had been slowly giving way to curiosity. The more time passed, the more he needed to know who was making these. One night, as the streets lay empty and the only noises came from the deathly moanings of plague patients locked in their homes, the shoemaker laid out some sheets of leather. As usual, his wife had already gone to sleep before him. He blew out the candles for the night. Then, he hid in a pile of rags where he'd have a good view of the room. And he waited. He sat there, hidden for what felt like hours, barely moving. His legs ached and his neck was going stiff. The urge to nod off to sleep got stronger and stronger. Would the mystery guest even show up? If they were magical enough to enter the place without disturbing any of the locks, then maybe they might already know that he was watching and just decide not to make an appearance. Then, a floating pinprick of light flew in from between the shutters in the window. More pinpricks of light followed. The shoemaker lost count after ten. He was a little busy, trying not to scream and soil his breeches. The lights floated over the workbench and, in an instant, took the form of tiny glowing men. Elves! Elves of the forest had come to help him! Each smaller than a newborn infant, the elves worked together at a pace that would put any human craftsman to shame. The leather was cut out in elegant, fluid motions. Stitches were sewn together in a blur of needlework. Every motion the tiny creatures made was swift, purposeful, and eerily silent. The shoemaker was overwhelmed by emotion watching the elves work. Just months ago, his poverty was so great that he could barely afford to feed himself and his wife. But then these little guys showed up to save him without asking anything in return. He started to wonder about how to repay their kindness. But what he soon witnessed shook any charitable thoughts out of his mind and replaced them with dread. One of the elves, older looking than the others, didn't appear to be working on any shoes at first. Instead, he produced a mushroom from a large sack he was carrying. That mushroom looked familiar. Wait. It was the same kind of mushroom that the shoemaker had glimpsed on many a person's face in recent months. The elf then took out a mortar and pestle and proceeded to grind the mushroom into a paste. The shoemaker worried about where this was going. His worst fears were confirmed when he saw the elf dip a small brush into the paste and apply a very slight coating to the inside of a finished shoe. This was the origin of the horrible illness that had the town in its grasp. Scores of men, women, and children were dead or dying because the shoemaker had been putting as many feet as he could into these fungus-laden shoes. In a rare surge of courage for the shoemaker, he stood up out of the pile of rags. What are you doing? he demanded. 
pointing a finger at the diminutive men standing on the workbench. The elves froze. For a second, both parties just stood there, staring at each other. Then, the elves all lunged at the shoemaker at once. The shoemaker lost his footing and fell backwards onto the floor. Before he could recover, he felt his arms and legs being tied with scraps of leather. Another piece of leather was wadded up and stuffed into his mouth so he couldn't speak. The senior elf, the one who had made the mushroom paste, locked his adorable but steely gaze on that of the shoemaker and spoke. Hear me out, Sonny. We've been helping each other up to now, and I think we can continue to help each other. I think you'll see it'll be in your best interest. You see, two hundred years ago, your town was a much smaller place. On the edge of it was a lush forest. As the town grew, more and more of the forest was cut down and taken over by streets and buildings. That forest was our home. The forest is largely gone now, but we refuse to leave our ancestral land. We live crowded together wherever we can find room. What's left of the forest isn't enough to sustain us, especially with your people dumping their waste in our rivers and hunting our game. We've gone from a life of peace and plenty to fighting one another for scraps. We can't go on like this. We elves don't like to resort to violence. But we need to take back this land if we are to survive. We need you big people gone, and we need news of the suffering to keep anyone from trying to move here after our work is done. That's where this little treasure comes in. He held up another mushroom. No one will forget what these little horrors have done any time soon. And spreading them through the shoes you sell has been more successful than we dare dream. Now, the way we see it, your options are limited. You could stop selling the shoes we made for you. Almost everyone in town will die as the mushroom spreads. That now includes you and your wife, as we will stop sneaking the medicine into your food that protects you. You could try to flee the area, but your own king's army will cut you down. Or, and this is what I would choose if I were you, you could just keep selling the shoes. We'll keep you and your wife safe, and you'll have more than enough money to start over somewhere else after we're done. What do you say? Would you like to keep selling the shoes? The shoemaker pondered these choices for a bit, but he knew that whatever courage he might have had in him to fight this had died out as soon as the tiny elves knocked him to the ground. He cast his eyes away in shame and slowly nodded in agreement to the senior elf. Good, said the elf, clapping his hands. Then, the elf blew a kind of powder into the shoemaker's face and the shoemaker fell asleep. The shoemaker awoke the next morning there, on the floor of his shop, free of his bonds. The elves were long gone. He picked himself up off of the floor. He looked over the workbench and saw the latest batch of shoes, neatly lined in a row, polished and ready for sale, ready to spread the elves' revenge. He cautiously walked back to the living quarters to check on his wife and found her still sleeping, completely oblivious to the previous night's events. She had always been a bit of a heavy sleeper. He decided he would never say a word of anything he had just learned to her. It would just put them both in danger. With a heavy heart, he turned back to his shop. He had shoes to sell. That's it for this episode of Ridiculous Revisions. This episode was written and produced by me, Chris Hellcamp. The website for this podcast isn't set up yet, but if you have any questions or feedback, send an email to chris at ridiculousrevisions.com. That's 
C-H-R-I-S, at RidiculousRevisions.com. I'm also available on Twitter under the username RidiculousRevs. Thanks for listening. <laughs>